All right, show me ready to worship. Let's see some Bibles. You guys can have your seats now, too. Show me your Bibles. On the count of three, say word. One, two, three. Word. Word. All right, open up to John 17. And as we turn the pages of Scripture, let's turn the attention of our hearts to the Lord in prayer. Father, I just I pray that you just bless us through the study of your word. Where my words are insufficient, may your spirit show that you're sufficient to carry through your desires and your, your goals and your needs and your aspirations. And may, may we approach your word with a heart of surrender, inviting you to challenge us, to change us, to transform us. Knowing that you love us right where we are, but you're not content to leave us there because you want us to grow beyond what we are for your glory and to serve you. And so I just pray that you would do something really powerful right now. In Jesus' name, amen. Guys, thanks so much for being here today. I'm so excited to worship. Man, hope you guys are as excited as I am. I, um, <clears throat> we're in a series called uh, Reclaiming Christianity. Reclaiming Christianity. And, and I, believe we, I believe we're living in a time where there's, there's great confusion about what it means to be Christian and what Christianity really is. And and we acknowledge there's contributing factors to this. We acknowledge that, um, yeah, there are contributing factors, and that's okay. We're not here to stir the pot. We're not here to name names. We're not here to complain, okay? We're not here to, we're not here to do anything negative, per se, with that. But what we are here to do is we, we're here to reclaim Christianity because we, we know that some people dislike Christianity for what it is, but many dislike it for something it's not. Right? We, we, we acknowledge we live in a world where many people have a bad taste for Christianity because of who Jesus is, but many people dislike a Christianity that doesn't exist because they dislike a Christianity for something that's not. So what are we going to do? We're going we're gonna to reclaim Christianity. What are we going to do? Instead of spending all of our time telling people what Christianity is not, we're going to invest energy into showing people what Christianity is. Amen, family? And so we're going to reclaim Christianity. And, and last week, we introduced the idea of reclaiming Christianity through the local church. Today, we're going to talk about reclaiming Christianity through global mission. And what I'd like to do is I'd like to begin our conversation. I'd like, us to, I'd like to lead us into this conversation by introducing this key thought. Are you ready for this, family? God is always inviting you to step into something bigger than yourself. God is always inviting you to step into something bigger than yourself, right? I want you to just think about this. He has invited you to receive salvation. That's from him for you, but that's something far bigger than yourself. You're not sufficient in and of yourself to save yourself. So he's invited you into something bigger than yourself. He's invited you to participate in the body of Christ through the church. And that can take various shapes and forms. Right? It, could, it could mean you go to gospel community on Tuesday afternoon at the frying pan with Leader Brad over there. That could mean you go Wednesday night right here or one of our gospel communities throughout town. It could mean you're helping and restore kids right now. It could mean you're part of a church planting team. You, you've been invited to step into something big in yourself by being part of the local church. And that takes various forms with various roles. But it's something far bigger than yourself and it's incredibly important. Amen, family? He's inviting you to something bigger than yourself. 
And it could be your own personal ministry with your own circle of influence that you are invited to participate in. What I want you to see is I want you to see that your life has an influence, positive or negative, based on your decisions. But your life and, and your faithfulness, through your faithfulness, God may be leading somebody to salvation. Maybe hundreds. But does the number matter? No. One person coming to faith in Christ is something that all of heaven celebrates. Because God is inviting you to participate in something, to step into something far bigger than yourself. He may be leading you to do something right now. Maybe you're resistant. And it seems maybe like some small deal, but when in reality, it's God, it's part of God doing something bigger than you could have ever imagined. You guys with me, family? Are we in this together right now? And you guys are so quiet. I mean, you should be quiet because you're listening to a presentation of God's Word, but um, we're kind of a participatory church. God is inviting you in to step into something far bigger than yourself. Amen, family? Amen. That's what He's doing. And it's incredible. And, and, and doing something bigger than yourself, does that, does that mean it has to be this giant organizational thing that, that like right now you're in step three of, of a 20-step plan to build some huge organization? Absolutely not. You, right now, where you're at, God's inviting you to participate in something bigger than yourself. I read this story in another pastor's sermon about a missionary adventure he was on. And he, he went on an adventure into to northern India. Millions and millions of people, and only about 1% of them are saved. I want you to think about millions and millions and millions and millions, and only about 1% of them know Jesus Christ as their Lord and Savior. And a couple of locals came to this missionary training that they were hosting. And as they're hosting this missionary training, they, they met these, these two men who were very discouraged because their ministry in their, in their um, community had just been fruitless. And they're very sad and they're very discouraged. And so the, the missionary organization encouraged them to do something. He encouraged them to go, and he encouraged them to go find communities that have never been reached with the gospel. And they were instructed to go into the community and say this. Say, we come in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ, and we want to pray for your village. And so the guys reluctantly, because they're discouraged, they're like, if everything we've been doing hasn't worked... Using the cheesy Christian statement to introduce ourselves to the community probably isn't going to work. But they, they looked at each other. They go to the town. They go to a town that they've never reached before. Most people don't talk to them. They go through the town. Most people don't talk to them. Finally, a guy comes up and starts wanting to talk to them. And they look at each other. This isn't going to work. But they also said to one another, nothing we do works anyway, so we might as well give it a try. And so they meet this man, and they say to this man, we come in the name of Jesus Christ. We want to pray for you. And he didn't, they didn't get to finish their statement. And the guy looks at him and says, Jesus, I, I, I've heard of him. I want you to tell me more. And they're ready to tell him. He interrupts him again. He says, but wait, I need you to tell my whole family. And so what does he do? He go gets his family, and in the weeks to come, 20 people in this unreached village give their lives to Jesus. 
And listen, it started with them doing something they thought was silly and wasn't going to work. And through that, it doesn't stop there. Since then, because of this situation, there was something much bigger than themselves that they couldn't have even imagined. Since then, over 350 villages have churches that have started in northern India because of that one time. When, when, listen, what was their response? God's not doing something bigger than this. This is silly. This isn't going to work. And then what happened? They're like, well, we might as well try it. 350 villages. God is constantly inviting us into something bigger than ourselves. But, but sometimes, sometimes it looks like he's sending you to do something that appears like it has zero chances of success. At the same time, I also believe that the Lord gives us the choice as to whether or not we step into that bigger thing. And I think that's something some of us need to wrestle with today, whether or not we're choosing to actually take that step that the Lord's calling us to. And listen, listen, sometimes, right, sometimes the Lord's very clear so you can make a calculated, clear, calculated step, right? I'm calling you to do this. You have all the data you want. So you can make a clear, calculated step. But sometimes... He's just clear enough for you to know that he's saying to go. And, but you, you can't make all the calculations, and so rather than a calculated step, it is a what? It's a leap of faith. Because sometimes that's all he gives you. My goal today is that all of us would take a step into something bigger that God is calling us to. And if you're already in the process of that step... My goal is not to burden you, but my, my goal is that if you're already in the process of that step, that you would take really deep roots in that step. But I, would, I would just like everybody to have just peace of mind on that today, that God is inviting you to something far bigger than yourself. And with that being said, would you please stand with me for the reading of God's Word? John 17, verses 15 through 21. Jesus is praying, and he said, he's saying these words in prayer between God the Son and God the Father. He says, I do not ask that you take them out of the world, but that you keep them from the evil one. They are not of the world, just as I am not of the world, so sanctify them in the truth. Your word is truth. As you sent me into the world, so I have sent them into the world. And for their sake, I consecrate myself that they also may be sanctified in truth. And I do not ask for these only, but for those who will believe in me through their word. That they may all be one, just as you, Father, are in me, and I in you. That they also may be in us, so that the word, world may believe that you have sent me. The glory that you have given me, I have given them. That they may be one, just even as we are one. I in them, and you in me. That they may become perfectly one, so that the world may know that you sent me. And love them, even as you have loved me. Go and have a seat, family. We're really, we're really hammer home on verses 20 and 21. And I just, I got to warn you about this message a little bit. It's all over the place. It's good. It's good. I'm just telling you, we're going to go all over the place because I'm cram I, I just want to turn this into like a 10-part series. And I'm giving you like a 10-part series and two sermons. So uh, we're going to come back to this later this year. I just, so I'm just telling you, we're going to go all over the place. Grab what's good. 
Grab what the Lord gives you and just like hang on to it because we're going to just be all over the place. But, but verse 20, verse 20 like, like this, well, this, this is part of a greater text. John 17 is called the high priestly prayer. And say high priestly prayer. Okay, that's what this is called in Scripture. And th- this takes place during Passion Week. So Palm Sunday's taken place. The Lord's Supper's taken place. Judas has gone to betray Jesus. And Jesus just got done in the last couple of chapters imparting his final wisdom to the disciples. Okay? And, and then as he concludes his, his final thoughts of wisdom to the disciples, he prays this prayer that you see in John 17. It's the longest recorded prayer we have of Jesus. It's the longest recorded prayer we have of Jesus. And, and there's this dialogue, and it ends in this prayer. And in this prayer, this short portion of Scripture, there's some deep theological truth. And I really want to get into this deep truth before we get to, like, the really practical application. And, and you know, I was talking to a really dear sister in Christ the other day about, about the, like, the depth of our salvation in Jesus. And, and she really lovingly just made my day. She said, I never heard it like that before. And uh, it, it was so exciting to, to, to just see her interact with the gospel at the, with, with, with this understanding. She already knew the gospel, but this understanding she never heard before. And I, I want to make sure we have all heard this before. So I want, I want you to understand, um, let's, let's look at Isaiah 53 really quick. Isaiah 53, 5 and 6 says, He was pierced for our transgressions. He was crushed for our iniquities. Upon him was chastisement that brought us peace. And with his wounds we are healed. All we like sheep have gone astray. We have turned everyone to his own way. And the Lord has laid on him the iniquity of us all. What I want you to understand is like, like Jesus, Jesus on the cross was, was far more than just this physical act of shedding his blood. It was far more than that. See, when Jesus was sweating blood, praying, not praying, Father, if it's your will, maybe may this cup be taken from me, he wasn't afraid of the physical aspect of the cross. Right? He, he, he was understanding that like the greater depth of what he was doing, that, that he was, he, listen, he, he was having spiritual wrath poured on him on the cross. What, what, what's happening? When Jesus was on the cross, we see this in Isaiah 53. I hope you see the depth of this, that what Jesus did is he reached through history. Like this is a moment that transcends time and space. He, he, listen, God exists outside of time and space and matter, right? Those are created things and he's the creator. So therefore he must exist outside of his creation. And so what he did is in this moment, he reached through time and space. I want you to understand this. He reached back into the past and he took all of the sins of all who believed in his coming. And he reached into the future and he reached and he took all of the sins for all who would believe in him into the future. And he reached through past and future and he took all of the sin and he put it upon himself on the cross. And he, he received upon himself the wrath from those sin, for due to those sins. So let's, let's make that pers- more personal. He took all of your sin reached through time and space and took all of your sin and placed that upon himself on the cross. Amen, family? So, no, no, but listen, listen. It's more than that, okay? He didn't just reach into today and yesterday to grab your sin. He reached into tomorrow. He reached into your tomorrow's sin, and he took that too on the cross. And he reached, he reached so far, and he said, I love you so much that I'm going to take it all. And I, want, I want to take that a little bit deeper. I want you to consider the ramifications of that. What he did is one sin, right? The wage of sin is what? Ever say death? The wage of sin is what? Yeah. Right? But not just physical death, spiritual death, and eternal hell. So what he did is he reached through time and space and he took the, and he condensed 
the equivalent of billions of hells. Billions of eternal hells. And he placed that upon himself. He took your eternal condemnation and he put that upon himself on the cross. Are you following me? And that is what he did. It's a moment that transcends time and space. And he took all that and put all that upon himself on the cross. And he condensed it into just a few short hours time. And that's what he endured. Why am I pointing this out in light of John 17? Here's why. Because this Easter season, may you and I never forsake the depth of what we celebrate. May we understand truly why calling ourselves Christian is such a wonderful thing that we can say we are of Christ. Amen, family? May, may we not forsake that. And secondly, why am I pointing this out? Because the high priestly prayer, Jesus is once again circumventing time and space as he prays. Right? Jesus is once again in the high priestly prayer, circumventing time and space, just like he did on the cross. He's revealing us exactly what I'm talking about today, that he is inviting you and I into something much bigger than himself. What does he say in verse 20? He's praying for all of the people who would come to salvation around the world and throughout history. Let's read verse 20 one more time. What does he say? He says, I do not ask for these only, but also for those who believe in me through their word. So I want you to understand, in this time, Jesus is not praying just for the disciples. I personally believe Jesus was looking into the future, and he wasn't just using a, just a pluralistic word, just, just blindly just saying, and all those guys. I believe it was a moment where Jesus was transcending time and space, and he was praying for each and every one of us who'd come to faith in him, and saying, Lord, I'm my Father in heaven, I pray also for you, and you, and you. And, you, and, and it's just this really powerful spiritual moment where, where Jesus is praying, not only for us today, but still reaching into the future for everybody who would come to faith in him between then and now, and between now and the end of days when he returns and gathers all of us to himself. Amen, family? And this is what he prays. In Romans 8, 34, it tells us that Jesus is at the right hand of God, interceding for us always. We see in Revelation that the devil is constantly accusing us, and Jesus is eternally, what? Interceding for us. And then, and then Romans 8 actually goes on to this really powerful rhetorical question. He, he, says, he says, well then what shall separate us from the love of Christ? And it's rhetorical. He says, shall tribulation, or distress, or persecution, or famine, or nakedness, or danger, or sword? And he's saying... Would any of these things separate us from Christ? Christ with a rhetorical, absolutely not. And then verse 37, some most renowned statements in Scripture says what? No. In all of these things, we are more than conquerors through Him who loves us. For I am sure that neither death, nor life, nor angels, nor rulers, nor things present, nor things to come, nor powers, nor height, nor depth, nor anything in all creation will be able to separate us from the love of God in Christ Jesus our Lord. All of that, I want to just make this one point incredibly clear. That you, Christians, together, you are God's plan A to reach the world. That there are people around the world, there's people in this community who need to know Jesus personally and deeply and intimately, and, and he's telling us that you are his plan A for that. 
So much so that even though the, the, the night he was betrayed, immediately after this passage, John shows us Jesus was betrayed, and that was the beginning of his crucifixion process. He was betrayed and arrested, and that's when his, his, his last thought before the crucifixion was praying for you to reach the world. Are you just picking up what I'm laying down today? Like, this is, this is it. So, so this, is, this is not just a bigger thing that God is in calling us to step into. It's the bigger thing that he's calling us, inviting us to step into. That we must make him known to the world because Jesus told us that he is the only way, that he is the way, the truth, and the life, and no one comes to the Father except through him. And so if that's, if that's, if that's what, if that's what we need to do, and that's why we need to do it because he's the only way, that I think we need to get really serious on the how are we going to pull this off. Amen, family? How are we going to do these things? What I'd like to do with our remaining time is I'd like to talk about three ways we can participate in global mission. Number one, here's what we need to do. We will, you, we will participate in global mission through a united gospel obsession. What does that have to do with all this? Well, uh, apparently, apparently it's, it's a biblical concept because in verse 21, what does Jesus say in this passage? He says that they may all be one, just as you, Father, are in me, and I in you. They also may be in us, so that the world may believe that you have sent me. What is Jesus saying in verse 21? May our oneness be a witness to the world that leads many to him. Amen? Amen. May that be true of us. May our oneness be a witness to the world that many believe in him. So what's Jesus' plan for us to reach the world? It's astounding. It's actually Christian unity. It's not, it's not, it's not 70,000 70, step strategy. Values are good. This is, he's kind of talking about a value, Christian unity. Values do what? They form culture over time. But he really boils it down to these two words. Christian unity. May Christian unity lead the world to Jesus. He basically said, may they be one. So the world believes in him through our oneness. And what I'm going to do is I'm going to add layers to this. We're talking about a how, and I'm going to keep layering to it. So, so how do we reach the world? Through Christian unity. How do we reach, how do we have Christian unity? Well, step one would be an uh, obsessed, obsession with the gospel, a united gospel obsession. Well, how do we do that? How do we do that? I'm going to add layers, not because it's complicated, but because I want to be really thorough. So how do we do that? Well, I love Pastor Francis Chan's thoughts on this. There's a sermon he said a couple of years ago. He, he says, oh, this is just beautiful. He says, you do not build unity by trying to develop unity. You develop unity by having a common goal. And when you have a common goal, and that common goal is the obsession of your life, unity happens naturally. Right? And that makes perfect sense, right? And so Pastor Chan uses this awesome example uh, about a basketball team that was going to the NBA championship the year he talked about this sermon. And what he did is he identified that this team that was on their way to the championship had some teammates, had some players that had some personality conflicts. And we don't have any of that here, do we? No, we're perfectly united with perfectly compatible, compatible people in every way, shape, and form, right? None of us ever fight. We never bicker. We all respect one another perfectly, and, you know, they're just, they're just, yeah, all these, all these sarcastic nods, yeah. Yup, yup, yup. 
Yeah. So what he said, he said, well, these guys, they obviously had some personality conflicts, and they're on their way to the championship. How did they build the unity to go to the championship? Well, they didn't spend their time fawning over one another, ignoring the differences. They didn't, they didn't pretend to like the differences. Right? What, what did they do? They didn't try to force themselves to be united for the sake of unity, even with people they didn't completely click with. What did they do? They committed to the obsessive pursuit of their common goal, being a great basketball team and winning the championship. And I would go on to add that I, I guarantee many, not all of them, but many of them, formed a, formed a deep loving bond that, that went beyond their personality conflicts. And, and what I love about our church family, I look in our room right now, and there's a hundred people here today who are the most eclectic, diverse group in, in all of Yankton. And honestly, you look around, like this room is one of the most, represents one of the most diverse, diverse gatherings in the whole town all week. In fact, you look around and there, there's many people here who, who outside of, of our unity in Jesus, many of us would have zero reasons to spend quality time with one another throughout the week, aside from King Jesus. But what's, what's, what's amazing about that? is that because of Jesus uniting us, you do spend time together and you're building these wonderful bonds where I guarantee days and years from now you will look around and see people in this room who you would normally not spend any time with and you will love them as dearly, dearly as you love your own brothers and sisters and your own family and you will treat them and love them and value them as family. Why? Because of our unity in Jesus. Some of you have been here long enough where that's happened. There's people here who, you honestly, you have zero reason to spend quality time together. And over time, you union Jesus, you realize, actually, I love this person and I would die for this person. So how do we reach the world? Through Christian unity. Well, how do we do that? With a unified obsession for the gospel. Well, how do we do that? How do we do that? Well, listen, when you're obsessed with something... You have an uncontainable passion for it, right? When you're obsessed with something, there's no question that you're obsessed about it, right? There's, there's, no, there's, there's no question. Some of us are obsessed with cars or makeup or fitness or our favorite restaurant or our favorite band, our favorite whatever. Like there, There's no question about some of our certain obsessions. But when it comes to Jesus, outside of being here, there are maybe some big questions, right? Is, is there visible evidence outside of your Sunday worship as to whether or not you are obsessively in love with King Jesus? So how do we have a united gospel obsession outside of our Sunday gatherings? How do we do that? We're going to invest in our obsession because that's what you do in other things you're invested in, right? We could, we could, and we could, and we probably should. We should just have everybody sign up and do a tour of homes, right? Everybody, just every week, take turns having 100 people at your house. Doesn't that sound like fun? So then we can, when we grow to 200, 300, you know, just, that sounds like a good time. You'll just have to have, like, a sign-up sheet. You know, the first 50 can come in waves, you know, just come in waves, and uh, it sounds like a good time. Some of you look horrified. Some of you look so completely horrified right now. You're like, I'm, I'm done today. I'm just done. Um, no, but, 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 
Yeah. But if we did that, it would be very clear what you value because you invest in your obsessions and your household and your lifestyle. And so many things about you are clear evidence of that. So how do we do this? Okay. How do we build that obsession? Here's, here's, the, here's the best thing that so many of us needed to hear. You need to give yourself permission to share Jesus. Right? Like, isn't, that, isn't that what it boils down to? The reason that there's no clear obsession of, of the gospel in your life is you've never given yourself permission to be uncomfortable for the gospel. Right? How, how do you build that obsession? Right now, you just need to say, uh, self, you have permission to get uncomfortable and be awkward. And because and, 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 sometimes it will be awkward, right? Like Jesus said, some people will hate you because of your faith in him. In fact, he said there's a lot of people. He said some of you, some people, right? He said persecution is a result of professing faith. It's not an if, it's more of a when. You need to give yourself permission to experience that and say, Jesus, I would rather experience that sharing you than feel the burden of suppressing the gospel. I'm going to invest in my obsession of the gospel. Amen, family? And once you do that, it gets a lot easier. And I'll just be really honest, like, I'm naturally really shy, and sometimes I'm really awkward. But you know what? If I talk to enough people long enough, eventually we'll have a good conversation with somebody. <laughs> hey, who said that? Um, obsessions become obsessions, though, through repeated investments. Right? And, and honestly, so, so sometimes, sometimes it'll be awkward, but sometimes it won't, right? I'll just tell you, uh, several months ago, uh, I, was, I was at a restaurant, and one of, one of my goals is I want to always pray when I'm out in public. Not that I need to show off my prayers, but I, wanna, I just want to be just Christ in public, praying for people. And so we, we've, a couple guys and I, we just made a habit of we always pray for somebody at the restaurant we're in. We either pray for a waitress, we pray for somebody we see in. And, you know, I, I, sometimes I get discouraged saying, like, hey, can I pray for you? And people are just like, I'm fine. And that's basically, that's code for, like, back off. Right? Right? Like, man, it, it's, but, so I, sometimes I'm just expecting, my cynical mind expects somebody to just be like, okay, back off, leave me alone, you can do your own prayer. And, but, you know, we're going to say we're going to keep doing it, we're going to keep doing it, we're going to keep doing it. And, and a couple guys and I were out for dinner one night, and we just, you know what, we are like, hey, can we pray for you? And this woman we prayed for, was just so full of emotion, she almost just like started sobbing immediately. She started sobbing immediately. It was so meaningful that people were willing to just cared about her. And we have a really good relationship with her now. I can't wait to introduce you guys to her and say we're going to worship King Jesus together. And it's going to happen. And, and I'm just going to tell you, though, for us to get from, from there to there... We give ourselves permission to be uncomfortable multiple times, lots of times, to get to that point. But your obsessions become obsessions through what? Repeated investments. And so, so what, what if we did that as a church? What if we did that as a faith family? Rather than just making sure that we share the gospel a few times here or there, what if we work together in unity to make that our obsession? What if we did that? 
Like, like not, not like, like what if, what if like we may, we, like part of our rhythms in life are saying like, I'm going to make sure I talk to people in my circle from my church family. And maybe I don't have a circle from my church family because I'm an island when I come here. So maybe my goal is I'm going to build a circle here and I'll make sure I talk to that circle. And when I talk to that circle, I'm going to make sure that when I talk to that circle that I'm going to talk to them about the people I need to be sharing Jesus with. And I'm going to have them hold me accountable for it. And, and sometimes, maybe I just need to look in the mirror and look at that guy and tell him, Jesus loves you. Stop being a doofus about it. You know, I mean, I don't know what you need to hear. I know I need to hear that sometimes. And, and so sometimes sharing the gospel is more just reminding yourself of it. Amen? Amen. And sometimes sharing the gospel, you know, like I have a really good friend who says, you haven't fully shared the gospel until you've, you've led somebody to a point of being able to say yes or no to Jesus. Right? Until, until somebody has a chance to hear the gospel and respond to it, maybe you haven't fully shared it. But that doesn't mean every time is a full share either, right? Sometimes it's an act of kindness, but sometimes the acts of kindness have to lead to the proclamation of, do you want to receive Jesus today? So let's have a mixture of, let's be obsessed. Let's, let's, let's write lists and build our own systems on ways that we're going to share the gospel regularly in our life. All right, we got to go to the next point because I'm going to preach on this for like two more hours if we don't stop. Point number one, what, like what, so what, what's, what's the big thing? Jesus is inviting you into something far bigger than yourself. What's his solution? Christian unity. How do we do that? With a united gospel obsession. How do we do that? By giving ourselves permission to share the gospel. And then point number two is this, intentional partnerships. We participate in global missions through intentional partnerships. Now, I gave you that other point first before I talked about this point because this is really what we're here for today, right? We're talking about global missions. It's about us reaching the world. But listen, I, this is my wife's favorite quote. It's, are you guys ready for this? You can share this with her, and she'll be so happy if you tell her later that this is her favorite quote. If it's not good enough for local consumption, it's not good enough for export. Right? So if you have something that's only good enough to share with people far away, but not good enough to share locally, you probably have a problem with what it is that you're trying to export. Right? And, and honestly, if, if what we're sharing in some situations is life or death, right? how passionate can we really be about taking it far away if, if, we, if we're not passionate enough to take it right here in our home turf with people that we know and value and love? When, when it gets really tough, how, how, how committed can we be to it there if we can't really be, care about it here to that degree? Is that kind of heavy? Is that landing okay, though? Are we, are we doing good? Amen, family? Man, like, but that's, that's the reality. If it's not good enough for local consumption, it's probably not good enough for export. The only, the only organizations that do that, right, are organizations that have a bad product, and they're trying to do something to get rich quick. They'll go into places far away where they don't have to deal with the repercussions afterwards. That's not what we are dealing with with the gospel, right? We're, we're not delivering a product that we're ashamed of. We're delivering truth that leads to salvation, and not just salvation for a period of time, salvation for eternity. Amen? So intentional ministry partnerships. And this is a really basic biblical concept, right? We, and, and sometimes we can lose sight of this. We get so focused on the local thing and our own thing that we, we forget that God is inviting us to something bigger than ourselves. I want you guys to look at Colossians 4.16 with me. Colossians 4.16. So, the, the, you know, you have the New Testament. Most of, most of the New Testament are things called epistles. Everyone say epistles. They're, they're letters to churches 
through the early church. And Colossians is a letter to the church of the Colossians. But in verse 16 of chapter 4, what does he say to them? He says what? When this letter has been read among you, have it also read among the church of the Laodiceans. And see to it that you also read the letter from the Laodiceans. Right there is an illustration of this very basic biblical concept. God wrote scripture, right? God, God inspired this word to be written as part of scripture. But it was sent originally to the, to the context of the Colossian church. But in God's, in God's ultimate wisdom, he said, but it's not just for the Colossian church, it's for the Christian church. And so the Colossian church was given the responsibility of sharing this valuable resource with the Laodiceans and also through the rest of the Christian church throughout history. Why? Because intentional partnership is and always has been a very key foundation for effective ministry. It wasn't to send the church, the Colossian church, some special wisdom that was exclusive to them and never to be shared. It was to build them up that they may build up the rest of the church. Amen? So how do we do this? How do we, how do we reach the world? Let's saturate Yankton. Let's start saturating Crofton. I love this saying. We say it all the time in leadership things. Let's make it hard to go to hell in Yankton because nobody can go out on a street corner without hearing about Jesus. Amen? Let's, let's do that. Let's, let's saturate this place with the gospel. Let's saturate Crofton with the gospel. And then, it, we, then what happens is when we're obsessed with it, you can't contain it. It just gets out. So let's do that. Let's do that. Let's build intentional partnerships. And, and in doing so, here's what's amazing. In, partnerships are a way that you invest in your obsession. You think about anything you're obsessed with. You know, when, when you're doing well with something you're obsessed with, whether it's gospel or otherwise, what do you do? You build partnerships to grow whatever it is that you're invested in, right? It's just a nat it's natural economics to, to invest in your obsession, and then you grow your affections through the investment. Through the victories that those partnerships produce, your affections for your obsession are grow with it. Let me tell you about several, several partnerships we have right here really quick. So I was going to have uh, Rachel Jones. She's the executive director of the Pregnancy Center that we partner with. She was going to come today, but they couldn't make it. And um, we have an empty church on the other side of town. We said, hey, we want to do more ministry. We're capped out in this building. We want to do more ministry. So what do we do? Our friends want to start a pregnancy center. So we say, well, we got a space for you. Let's make it an affiliate ministry. We have a pregnancy center in our east campus. The upstairs of it's empty. So what do we do? We said, hey, you know what? We're going to build a kid's campus. So we're building an indoor playground. It's going to be free to Yankton just to love families. And it's being built right now. It'll be done by the end of next month. Why? That's one of our partnerships. We're going to have Restore Worship Center, Restore, Restore Kids Campus, and Restore Family Center by proxy through the Pregnancy Center that we use that space for. What else do we do? We say, okay, you know what? We're doing pretty good in Yankton, but this isn't enough. So what are we going to do? We're going to work and get Restore Crofton planted. And what are we doing in Crofton right now? We're already looking at our next church plant, hopefully for a couple years down the road, maybe in Bloomfield. I really want to do one in Tyndall. You know, like, let's, what are we going to do? We're going to build these partnerships. Here's what we're going to do. In July, Restore Church has started an initiative with two other churches in town. We're going to do something called Christmas in July. And here's what we're going to do. This is a little preview for you. What we have is, is too good for us to keep here. We have to take it out there. Amen? So we're going to partner with two other gospel-centered churches in town. And a Christmas in July through the month of June, we're going to tell all of Yankton we want to serve everybody with everything. So let us know if you need something sewn or painted or fixed or cut or cleaned or whatever. And we're going to invite everybody from these three churches 
to build the biggest labor force Yankton's ever seen. And for one day in July, we're going to take Christmas to Yankton and serve all of Yankton's needs that we can. And that's what we're going to do. Amen, family? And because what we're going to do is we're going to say Christians in Yankton, we're going to show you what it is rather than spend all of our time telling you what it's not. And we're going to go to the whole community and tell everybody about Jesus. Why? This is our intentional partnership. You know, we're at Restore Church, about 15% of our budget goes to mission work across North America and around the world. 15%. National average is 1%, just so you know. 15% of our budget goes towards mission work. We partner with about 50,000 churches across North America that pool some resources together to fully fund 3,000 missionaries, much like the two men in northern India that I shared with you when we started, so they never have to leave the mission field and they can stay there sharing Jesus as long as they need to. Amen? Like, these are intentional partnerships. In fact, verse 15, you go, go to John 17, you go up to verse 15, this is a really powerful statement. He says, Father, I do not ask that you take them, being the disciples, out of the world, but that you keep them in the world and from the evil one. Jesus pleaded with the Father in loving relational prayer, and he said, Father, if you wanted to, you could take, all the, you could take my disciples out of this world, and just take them to heaven with me and with you after the crucifixion. But he said, instead, Father, I would rather you keep them there so that their united mission could reach the world that more would believe. And that was his prayer. He said, Father, keep them there. I don't care how miserable they get. Keep them there. He said, but he actually did care for your, our misery and lack of misery because he said, Father, while they're there, it's going to be hard. So protect them from what? The evil one. Keep them going. Heavenly Father, please leave Christians on the earth to reach more people for in, in Christ rather than taking all of them to heaven right away. Amen? Like, like, like this is it. This is the thing, the bigger thing that God is step, having us step into. So, so, so do you want to step? Man, they're having a party out in the lobby there. Um, I think they're having it. Just so you know, all your kids, just, this was a surprise. They're having an Easter egg hunt out in the lobby today. So thank your children's minute. Because, you know, the community one got canceled, I think. So they're, they're just like, hey, we're going to love your kids and give them an Easter egg hunt. So um, next week it won't be crazy out there. If you're being distracted by the noise, just love them in their Easter egg hunt. Okay? You just wait to see the activities we have planned for this summer. It's, we aren't getting started yet. Okay. So, so but here, the, so the, here, here is, this, is this clicking, though? All that being said, is this clicking? Like, are you ready to step into something bigger than yourself? All right, let, let, me, let, me, let me just tell you something. Okay, um, if, if you want to do this, okay, I'm giving you a couple action steps. I'm going to give you this huge, I told you we're going all over the place, right? Did I keep true to my word? We're going all over the place today. How, like, like, so what's the big thing? The key thought is what? God is inviting you to step into something bigger than yourself. How do we do that? Christian unity. How do we do that? Gospel obsession. What's the action step? Give yourself permission to share the gospel. Number two, intentional partnerships. How do we do that? How do we do that? Discipleship's a good answer. But let, me, let me tell you something. Give yourself a goal to stay. Don't, don't be here and just flippantly, if I stay, I stay. If I go, I go. Give yourself a goal to stay and partner. Make that an active thought in your mind. Right now, my goal is to stay and partner at Restore Church. 
So, so there's a study, there's a study, I, I quote it all the time, of, of pastor, um, pastor tenure at churches. The average pastor stays in the church about two to three years. And you know why they stay about two to three years? Because between year two and three, there's often a conflict between the pastor and the congregation. And either the congregation fires the pastor, the pa- pastor fires the congregation, and he quits. Average tenure across America, two to three years. But what they found out is the pastors that can stick around from year three into year four and five and then beyond have the most fruitful ministries because the pastors who stay and work through the conflict with the congregation builds a deeper trust, a deeper um, influence, and a deeper ability to minister to the community with the congregation. Now, that's based on study. This is based on my observation. I've noticed that you guys follow the same trend. Now that we're five going into six years as a church plant, those of you who, most of you who leave will leave within the first three years. Those of you who commit to stay and partnering during year three and four are going, right now, all of you who've been here more than three years are seeing the most fruitful ministry of your lives. And guess what? We're, we're South Dakotans and Nebraskans. We're Midwesterners. We're really reserved people. It takes a lot to earn trust and to kind of get in. Those of you who stay here three years, in discipleship, you are partnering with somebody to overcome the deepest sins that you hid from the world for the most years. It took that long to get there. So, so what do you want to do? If you really want to see a fruitful ministry and you want to make that difference, this is my observation, not study, but I would say give yourself a goal to stay. But don't stay passively, stay actively and partner. So make that a goal. In the next five years, I want to stay here. I want to be partnering with something. And what do we do? We step into it. Amen, family? And listen, here, here, stay this way, okay? Stay actively. So stay, stay in this way. Stay long enough that you do have a conflict with somebody. Plan ahead so when the conflict arises, you're committed to working through the conflict and liking them afterwards. Decide now before it happens. So when it happens, there you're ready for the fruitfulness. Why, why is that? You know, it's, it's funny. We can laugh about it. Why is that so important? Because we have to really acknowledge in our hearts, are we actually united in the gospel or are we divided in worldly ways, right? Because there's nothing biblical about separating without resolving conflict. There's nothing biblical about it. In a family of faith, there's, it's, it's Jesus. Remember what Jesus said? If, he said if, if you're at the temple and you're given a sacrifice and you remember that you don't haven't made up with somebody, he says, leave the temple in the middle of your God-honoring process and go make up with them. So give yourself the goal to stay if you want to have intentional partnership. Lastly, lastly, are you guys tracking with me? We're all over the place. What's the big, what's the big key, th- the key thought? God is inviting you to always invite you to send something bigger than yourself. How do we do this? Three ways. Number one, Christian unity. How do we do that? Number one, gospel obsession. How do we do that? Give yourself permission. Number two, intentional ministry partnerships. How do we do that? Give yourself a goal to stay and partner. Number three, lastly, do so with an unyielding dependence on God. I mean, what's the reality of this whole conversation? God is asking you to do something that's bigger than yourself. Therefore, you need something bigger than yourself to supply the power, energy, resources to bring it to completion. Amen? What is Philippians 4.13? I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me. I can do what? All things through Christ who right? So, so I mean, if, if we're intentionally engaging in something bigger than ourselves, then we need to intentionally receive help that's bigger than us to bring it to completion. So what are we going to do? We're going to do this with an unyielding dependence on God. And I'm not even done preaching right now, but um, I'm going to have our church planting team come up. 
I'm going to have our church planting team come up. And everybody who's, and I want you guys to line up across the stage down here. And I'm just going to be really honest with you guys. I, uh, I, you guys, come on up, come on up, come on up. I, uh, I woke up, not, you guys can kind of stay down there and line up. I'm going to kind of keep a distance. I'm just going to be honest. I, um, I woke up not feeling the greatest. So I'm, I, don't, I promise I don't have COVID, I promise. But uh, after church, I normally go out and I want to greet everybody. And I'm going to shake your hands and hug you. I'm going to kind of duck out on you because I really don't want to be too close to anybody. But I just couldn't miss today. And I hope you'll forgive me. I, um, but... Um, this is your church planting team. We're going to launch Restore Church Crofton Campus next Sunday at 5 p.m. And I want to actually invite everybody who's sitting right now, if you would, I would like you to consider this week, if you could go to Crofton every Sunday evening, or as often as you can for the next couple of months, to be part of that, to just, just help get things going as we launch this church plant. What I want to tell you guys, the reason we preach this sermon today and everybody's up here today, and you guys, you stand up here, don't let yourself feel awkward. I'm going to talk for a long time. I got like two more hours of sermons, so just, the key is don't lock your knees, okay? Okay? I learned that some people faint if they lock their knees, so just don't lock your knees, get comfortable. Um, but here's what's amazing. Everybody up here, you're doing everything we've talked about today. In this church planting thing, what, what are we doing? Um, you've been, you had lots of options. And, and you, had, you had a lot of options. You're, you could have closed the church down. Or you could have hired a pastor who would have just kept, kept the status quo. You could have kept doing everything the same as long as you wanted. But I, you, you guys, you guys and we had a really long, intense interview process. We interviewed for like a year before we really kind of pinned things down, didn't we? And through that process, we came up with this idea it was the most difficult idea of all of our options. And we came up with this idea that was the most challenging, the most out-of-the-box idea of all of our options. But it's also the idea with the potentially greatest impact that made it something bigger than itself. Right? This was an idea that would turn one church, two churches, into one church that's a network expanding to saturate the region with the gospel. You understand what I'm saying, family? And what I want to do right now is I want, I want, to, I want to honor them in that, and I want to celebrate this. And I want to just, just we're going to, I'm going to pray over them, and I would just invite you guys, stand, sit, get on your knees, whatever you want, and just pray. We're going to pray over them together, and I want you to also pray in your heart if maybe you can be part of this. And being part of it doesn't necessarily mean you go there. I'd love you if you go there, but invite everybody you know in Nebraska to... Go to Restore Crofton campus. But we want to pray and we want to just ask God to bless them as they're doing something bigger than themselves with an unyielding dependence on God. So let, let's pray right now. Father God, I, I, I pray just that you bless. And I hope somebody gets a picture before we get down here. I pray for that too. Um, God, I pray that you just bless and protect and provide for my brothers and sisters in Christ and myself as we begin this next journey of this next church plant. And Father, I pray right now, this is the process of global mission. We just move a little farther away and a little farther away till we reach, wrap all around the world in your name. And God, I pray that you provide every provision that we need, even the ones we can't see that we need right now, for your glory. And we pray that souls get saved, that we enjoy a long and fruitful season of ministry, 
and that these brothers and sisters are so encouraged. God, may we have a gospel obsession that unites us so deeply. God, there's so many things to pray for that I don't have the wisdom to pray for, but I know that you see it and you need it and you just see the depths of our hearts. So I pray for all of those provisions and all of those blessings. So God, just, just bless as we commission this church plant. Bless us to go and bless us to multiply again and again and again. And I just pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Will somebody get a picture? and Let's, let's give them some honor and appreciate them. We can stand here. It's awkward. We got a good picture. Uh, we got good. All right, you guys can go on. Go on back to your seats, and we just oh, we appreciate you. Um, and as our worship team comes up, I just want to invite the rest of you. Listen, every single one of you, people watching online, people around the world, and throughout history, every one of you, God is inviting you to participate, to step into something bigger than you. I believe God completely gives you the chance to take that leap of faith. But he also gives you the opportunity to, to turn down the blessing he's offering you. And I just want to encourage you, don't reject the blessing. You want for you what God wants for you. So if he's inviting you, it's always for your good. It's always for his glory. It might be really tough, but it's always for your good and always for his glory. Let's pray again. Father God, I, I pray right now for this, the congregation before me. God, bless us to, to step into what you're calling us to. God, bless us. Convict us so deeply that we are incapable of denying or rejecting this. Bless us so, convict us so deeply that, that it, it, just, it just consumes us. And bless us with this gospel obsession. May we give ourselves permission to be uncomfortable. May we give ourselves a goal to stay. May we grow. And may all this be the overflow of our intimacy and our relationship with you and our love of you. And Father, anybody here today who's never received you as Lord and Savior, let's not make it complicated because it's not. God, you made it so simple and I pray that this happens in people's hearts right now that it, just admit that we're sinners. Believe that Jesus Christ's death on the cross and resurrection completely washed away our sins and re revived us to new life. And confess that we believe and receive that in our hearts. God, I pray right now that there's, there's people here around the world who are just, just crying out to you, receiving you, and, and embracing you right now. We don't make you Lord of our lives. You are Lord. It's just a matter of whether we're going with you. And right now, I just pray that that's happening all over the place. Now, in the days to come, that we're just embracing you as Savior. And I pray that so deeply. I pray that so deeply, Lord. We love you in Jesus' name. Amen.